good idea, so I'll, I'll tell him. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, we're going to have it up on the screen, but again, I think it's great to follow along in the Word of God. If you happen to have a smartphone or a tablet, there are some amazing apps out there right now that can give you the Bible in almost every translation, so I'd encourage you to download that. All right, here we are, chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through quite a bit here. So let's see what happens here. This is Jesus. He's going to start off with a bang here. Wow. He, he says this to his disciples. He goes, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Right? Absolutely. We all understand that. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Verse 3, so watch yourselves. So he says stumbling blocks are coming. Even now, right now, 2020, there's stumbling blocks. There's people all around you trying to cause you to stumble. It actually made me think of a story from college, a painful story, uh, when in college we loved to play capture the flag. Anybody ever play capture the flag before? Yeah, come on. In college it was just one of our go-to games, but you'd play it at midnight. You don't play it in the day, you play it at midnight. And back in the day I used to be kind of athletic, so I really took a lot of pride in my speed and how fast I could be. And so I remember I was in a full sprint and out of nowhere jumped in front of my path a picnic bench I don't know, it was fast, it just kind of came right there, and sure enough, I hit my shin right on, you can still see the mark to this day, the shin right on the one side of the bench, you know, just, if it was in slow motion, it would have been awesome, and then rolled, flew through the air over the picnic bench. Yeah, we would call that a stumbling block, (laughs) stumbling block, but in 2020, even in my own life, I think about the stumbling blocks that we face, things of our flesh. You ever had that be a stumbling block before? Things of the devil, right? Satan himself, the accuser. Things of this world, right? The things around us, all causing us or trying to cause us to stumble. But it's amazing what he says next. He says, but watch out if you're the one who's causing others to stumble. I I think he wants his disciples to hear this warning. He wants us to hear this warning. You do not want to be the cause of another person stumbling. And he goes on to say, and you've heard this before, but he says it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea what with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourself. When I was in Israel, we saw some millstones. I I got a picture of one of the millstones I saw. This, uh, anyone that went to Israel, do you remember what city this was in? Starts with a C. Capernaum, that's right. I, I saw this in Capernaum. That millstone, by the way, that thing is heavy. And when you see it up in close up in person, I actually have some pictures of me in front of the millstone, but I'm making really funny faces and I just look goofy, so we went with this picture. But <laughs> when you're actually standing in front of it, it really makes this whole story pop because those things are huge and those things are heavy. And he's saying it is better to be thrown into the sea with one of those tied around your neck than to cause someone to stumble. So watch yourself. Watch yourself, Life Spring. Watch yourself, Pastor Dan. God cares about how you are carrying his word, carrying his name, carrying his message into your everyday life. He cares how you live in your workplace. 
He cares how you're living on your social media pages. He cares how you're living uh, online with your schooling, with your family, with your friends. You do not want to be a stumbling block. If you ever find yourself in that position, you know one of the best things you could do when you've screwed up and become a stumbling block? Starts with an R. Re, not repeat. No. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> Repent. Be quick to repent admit where you've fallen short ask forgiveness from god also by the way ask or seek forgiveness from those that you've wronged i'd say do whatever you can do to make sure you are not the cause of anyone stumbling but then jesus continues to speak and he says if your brother or sister sins against you rebuke them and if they repent forgive them if your brother or sister sins against you rebuke them you know rebuke is actually a pretty normal part of the church and being in a church community nowadays in our culture it does have that kind of negative connotation but i would say out of our love for each other if we're really in a godly community we're going to hold each other accountable when a brother or a sister is doing something let's say it's dishonoring to god or let's say a brother or sister is doing something that's dishonoring to another person or let's say i've seen this before where they're doing this something dishonoring or hurting who themselves well we need to step in and address that with the person now unfortunately we as christians often are terrible at rebuke (laughs) right come on like you just see it they they come in and you just see it it's like this self-righteous attitude kind of a holier than thou judgmental spirit almost they start speaking in a different voice right they use the old king james version have you heard that before and really i mean the, the reality is when they come in rebuking with that kind of spirit, often you would say that person probably needs to focus more on the plank in their own eye than looking at the speck in another person's eye. And in 2020, that's pretty relevant in our world. But even with that being said, I, I, I just lived long enough to know that there are bound to be times where you and I have to address our brother or our sister. When what? When they've sinned against us. But when we do, praise the Lord, you always do it in love, hopefully, right? You do it in love. Love, uh, the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. So you approach that person in love. By the way, if you're approaching someone in this way, it should be a love for God with the love of God and loving others with His love. By the way, I've been rebuked by dozens of people in my life. In fact, if it was a poster, we would have to have like, A whole wall of rebuke. I mean, it's been quite the thing. Like, you name the person, they've probably done it. My boss has rebuked me. My employees have rebuked me. My wife, who's probably watching online, has rebuked me. Members of the congregation rebuked me for... I mean, the list is long. I have a lot of examples of rebuke. Now, those have been really good in my life. I love... I'm a lifelong learner. I've never pretended to have it all together and... A lot of that rebuke's been really healthy. Now, unfortunately, some of it hasn't been so healthy. I have some examples of people coming in, and they just really hurt me. But, by the way, hurting people hurt people. Have you heard that before? You know, and it's true. Uh, Someone that's not healthy, when they come in and try to rebuke, you can just see it. The unhealth kind of just spewed out of them, and and that's not what I'm talking about. But I just have more positive examples than negative. I really do. I love the church. I'm in the church forever. I'm so confused when people leave 
the church. I mean, I get when you maybe have to leave a certain local congregation, but so I would never leave the church of God. I've found such a health and such a just a beauty and a growth that has happened. And a lot of times because of the rebuke of others. And what I love when they come in and when I know that they love me. Right. And I know that you can just see it in their eyes, by the way, too. You can just tell you can sniff it out. And you can tell when someone isn't there for your destruction. They're not there for your demise. They're for your good. They love you. And they're there that God would have glory in your life. They want God's very best for me. And so they rebuke me for sinning against them. I don't know if either of you guys would even say that you rebuked me, but I would say both these guys I was making fun of earlier, Ryan and Braden, uh, they've had to do that to me. Uh, they both individually had to sit me down and say, hey, Pastor, can I meet with you? Right? Can I talk with you? And what you said to me, Pastor Dan, or what you texted me, Pastor Dan, it, it, it hurt. Or I, I don't understand why you would say that to me. And, and so they lovingly called me out. And those times have been beautiful, right? Those times have been powerful. Uh, those times, actually, I'm going to say it didn't feel good. It wasn't like, oh, this is wonderful. I mean, actually, my heart was broken. But it was holy, it was sacred, it was beautiful. Often with tears in my eyes, I would just say, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? I love you. And they would say, what would they say? They would say, of course I forgive you. See, I want to live my life above reproach. And the only way that's going to happen is if you allow other people into your life to do that so that you can grow. One of the saddest things as a pastor is when I have to talk to someone about something that's going on, and then I never see him again. That's a long list of people who I've had to say, hey, you know what you did? That, that isn't God's best for you. And I know when I'm saying that to that person, I will never see them again. So please, be open to rebuke, but then also uh, be open to correction. I, I just want you to hear this. Uh, it's important, and don't screw it up if you're also coming in uh, and you're going to rebuke someone. I, again, this whole thing going on right now, calling people out uh, on social media is embarrassing. It's so weird that, you know, one of us will post something, our opinion, and then just someone bites at it. Like they just snap at it. I don't know if that's ever changed the person's heart before. I don't know if the biting on social media has been like, oh, well, you're right and sorry about that. No, it just causes that division to grow even wider. So don't be that person. I mean, man, like how many people are like, I'm God's chosen one or I'm God's anointed one. And you just come in and it's just not an effective way to rebuke. And by the way, that person that you're trying to rebuke is probably not going to receive it from you. And I would just say this one, just learn some people skills. People skills go a really long way uh, on earth. But two, go to Bed Bath and Beyond and buy a mirror and look at yourself. I, some of us, I mean, we got to start looking at ourselves. Let the Lord work on our own hearts before you start judging everybody else. Again, hurting people hurt people. But that's not what we're talking about. It's just important to understand in a community like this, in grace, in truth, in love, there's a time for correction. By the way, has anyone ever been corrected lovingly by a friend, maybe a spouse, by a pastor? Anyone here? Absolutely. It's a very normal part of the Christian walk. So I want you to ask that question even right now. Just am I willing to receive correction from my pastor? Am I willing to receive correction from somebody else in the church? Do you have a heart that would even be open to that? 
And I get there's extreme examples of abuse and pastor manipulation. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, are you walking in maturity as a believer where you're saying, I want to grow and I'm not going to pretend I have it all together, but I want to be transformed to the image of Christ and I want to be the best that I can be above reproach. And so if I'm missing the mark in somewhere, I have to be open to someone coming in and sharing. Hey, Dan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Braden. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Jesse. That's not God's best for you. He has better than that for you. And then Jesus says, if a person does that, if a person receives that correction and says, oh, man, like, I'm so sorry. I, I, would you please forgive me? Guess what you got to do? What does the Bible say? It says you got to forgive them. Wow, right? Wow. Because really, let's be honest, some of those zingers we're given, we're not even waiting for a response. We just want to zing them and leave. But no, if you're really rebuking someone that sinned against you, what your heart is is you're hoping they would come and say, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I love you. I want to be in relationship with you. You repent. and The other person forgives. Jesus says it pretty radically, actually. He says it even more radically in other parts of Scripture. He says, if they sin against you, how many times? Seven times. Seven times in a day. And seven times. So not just one, two, or three times, but seven times. Look what it says. It says, you must forgive them. If they come to you, say, I repent. You must forgive them. Life spring, you got to hear this. The whole cancel culture thing. Like, what? That is not godly community. If someone comes in sorrowful repentance, we must forgive them. I said this to people before. If you and I are going to be in community together, then you're going to have to learn how to forgive me, and I'm going to have to learn how to forgive you. Did you know that? A godly community is a forgiving community. A godly community doesn't hold grudges against each other. If you're still holding grudges from three, four months ago, that's not of the Lord. A godly community doesn't care offense against each other. A godly community doesn't gossip about each other. When I hear someone say, you know, like, well, you know, Pastor Dan, a lot of us have been talking about you. That's wrong. Please stop. We don't gossip about each other. A godly community, we love each other. We extend grace to each other. We forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Praise the Lord. By the way, I love the game of golf. I know it's kind of going extinct these days because it's way too long and way too expensive. But any golfers in the house today, right? Let's play this year once COVID's over. We, I, I think you didn't even play, so let's do it already. But you take that club. I, I love golf, and I love it more now than I did 20 years ago back in college because when I played in college compared to now, guess what? The clubs now are more what? Forgiving. Praise the Lord. The clubs are more forgiving. Those old clubs, anyone play with blades back in the day? Those old blades, you, the sweet spot on that baby was so small, you had to hit it just right if you wanted to see that ball go anywhere. But the newer clubs, I would say they have a bigger sweet spot. You don't have to hit it perfect. Why? Because they are more forgiving. I was thinking about it this week because I was thinking about golf and there were some nice days this week. Didn't get out, but I'm dreaming. But I was thinking, as Christians, come on, we need to have a larger sweet spot. We just do. Where that person who's asking for forgiveness, don't make them jump through a bunch of hoops. Don't make them just do it right, but look for their heart. Look for their heart and you be gracious toward them. If they come back to repentance, you take the step forward and you forgive them in the name of Jesus. That's one of the things I love about the Birch House. I love our house because Ava and Addie, 
They, they don't have to jump through all those hoops to get forgiveness from their parents. No way. Not a chance. In fact, it makes some of you stressed out that I, I don't get harder on them. No, we love them. We look for their hearts. In fact, I'm just looking for any opportunity to just embrace them and hug them and kiss them. If I know that they are trying to do the right thing, our, me and my wife, we will extend a tremendous amount of grace. We are quick to forgive them. Church, may we be known as people who are quick to forgive. Come on, we're people where we'd be willing if someone sins seven times, if they repent seven times, we're what? Seven times, 70 times. We're saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Church, let's walk in a spirit of forgiveness. Now, I'll also add this. As I was preparing it this week, I just felt like I had to add this. Some of you have walked through this process on your own. And I've also, you know, 16 years of being a pastor, I've seen this played out in the church. Just because you forgive someone, and this is really important that you hear this, just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you always jump back into relationship with them. Do you hear what I said? And I get this. This is a touchy subject. But forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Now, we know the Father's heart is reconciliation. But there's real-life circumstances where that's not a possibility. Uh, sometimes, uh, again, you hear all these stories. I've walked through some of them my, myself. Maybe you'll have an area where abuse has occurred. Or maybe there's a place where someone's just unwilling to be civil or they're disrespectful towards you. They're kind of disregarding you and your space. They are not willing to engage in a healthy relationship with healthy boundaries. And so for you, and I, I hope you hear me today, for you it would be very unwise and unhealthy for you to keep pursuing that relationship. Of course, our hearts should always be reconciliation. But, church, and this is important that we understand this today, even when that isn't possible, we must forgive. Anyone who repents, we must forgive. Even if you can't be safely in a relationship with them anymore, Jesus says you forgive them if they repent. All right, let's move on. The disciples, they hear all this, and what do they say? Three words, right? Increase our faith. Increase our faith. By the way, that's a pretty appropriate response to what Jesus just said. Because these are some tough demands. Like even as you're hearing me talk, some of you are squirming. Like, I don't know, Pastor Dan. Like to walk so uprightly to where you would not cause anyone to stumble. To forgive someone who has wronged you seven times in a day. Anyone else think that sounds exhausting? Yeah, just me? Oh, come on. I mean, maybe two or seven? Jesus, right? They're not automatic behaviors. Jesus, increase our faith. The disciples get a bad rap, but we'd be saying the same thing. Increase our faith. But I love what Jesus says next. Track with me, church. Verse 6, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So where the disciples were saying, we need more faith, we need more faith, Jesus says, no, it's not about the quantity of your faith. It's actually about the quality of your faith. If you have faith the size of what? A mustard seed. I got a picture of a mustard seed. They're kind of small. Again, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. If you have true faith, you can do amazing things. Faith that can move mountains. All right, and then these last few verses, verse 7 through 10. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he come to the servant when he comes in from the field? Come along now and sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready, wait, wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. 
Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. You know, when I was reading these verses, I was thinking about Jesus' audience. He's talking to the disciples. But you can picture some Pharisees listening in, those religious leaders. And those religious leaders were obsessed with being honored, right? Now, there's a great passage in Matthew 23. Jesus says, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, right? They broaden their phylacteries. They lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love that place of honor at banquets. They love the chief seats in the synagogues, respectful greetings in the marketplaces. And they love being called rabbi by men. Come on, it is so tempting to go there in our flesh. We all kind of like that, don't we? But this attitude is so far removed from the attitude that you and I should have as followers of Christ and servants of God. If we're true followers of Jesus, when we start doing things for God, you just got to be careful. I've seen this again and again. It is tempting to become arrogant and even prideful in your accomplishments. But you got to remember, everything you are, but also everything you do, is what? Solely by the grace of God. And this is a strong warning to every one of us, whether you're the pastor or whether you're a businessman or a lawyer or whether you're in school. If you're a Christian, be careful. And it's just a warning against any kind of spiritual pride you might have. You, my friend, wherever you are called... You are in service of the Lord, and you don't need special honor, you don't need a special title, and you don't need the accolades of this world. You owe Him everything. Come on, there's nothing you can stand on on your own. It is all Christ. Christ is everything, and we are here to do what He is asking us to do. We are His servants, and we obey our Master. Hallelujah. So Jesus says, a quick review. First, do not be a stumbling block. Rebuke those who sin against you, forgiving those who repent. True faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. And by God's grace, stay humble, church. Do the work that he is asking you to do. To finish today, uh, I wanted to give one of my favorite people an opportunity to share on these last few verses. So would you please welcome Kelly Putman to the stage. Praise the Lord. Hello. Um, I was actually kind of worried that uh, Pastor Dan's podium was going to be too tall for me. That was a legit fear. Um, So I get to preach on the next section of verses, uh, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Uh, So it says, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. 
Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. So while he was on his way to Jerusalem, uh, we know from chapter 9 in Luke that Jesus was on his way to be crucified. He was headed back to Jerusalem to to be crucified. To, he, he, knew, he, he knew time was coming. The, he knew where he was going. Um, so that was kind of where his mind was. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So leprous can be used as a general word. Uh, lepus in the Greek to describe a lot of skin diseases ranging from minor to major. The worst kind is created by a bacteria, and it's what we refer to as leprosy. And we know that this is the disease that Luke is talking about because of the phrase, stood at a distance. Uh, This would have been something that, in Jewish law, um, they would have been required to do. Uh, It can also damage their larynx. So when they said raise their voices, their voices probably still weren't that loud. And it probably took a lot of effort on them and probably was pretty painful. Being a physician, Luke would have taken that he would have made notes of all of this. Um, And then when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. I'm not going to go into all the details because I don't have that kind of time. But Leviticus chapter 14 spends 32 verses describing the cleansing rituals and offerings that the priests would do if someone thought they no longer had leprosy. Um, it was an eight-day process. It was involved. It was. Um, it took took a lot of work. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Uh, for those that may not know, in the Old Testament, Israel was split into two kingdoms. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. When Assyria invaded the northern kingdom, they intermixed with the Jews there, creating Samaritans, and Jews from the southern kingdom considered them half-breeds. Over a long period of time, a mutual hatred developed. And then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. That last part literally translates as saved you. Your faith has saved you. And in this context, we're talking about salvation. So it wasn't just a physical healing, it was a spiritual healing as well. So when I first read this, I was like, great. I have to find some way to talk about being grateful for healing for 15 to 20 minutes. But then I read it again and again. And again, and by the end, I was pacing in my driveway, looking at the sky, telling God there was too much to unpack in only 15 minutes, so he needed to pick something to focus on. And he did. Uh, I'm mostly going to focus on the Samaritan. I love reading Luke because Luke was a thorough investigator who liked details. 
He tells us that the one man to turn around and go back was a Samaritan, which leads me to assume that most of the other nine were Jews. And that would make sense because getting to the temple and being cleansed by the priest would have been high on their priority list. They got what they wanted from Jesus and went on with their lives. I'm sure they were grateful and affected by what happened, but not enough that it swayed them from doing what was expected of them from Jewish law. I'm sure in their minds they figured they would praise God and thank him at the temple because that is where one praises and thanks God. And technically speaking, they weren't wrong. They just didn't get it. The Samaritan got it. I almost wonder if the Samaritan felt unworthy of being healed. If his fellow lepers were all Jews, I can only imagine what they might have said to him every day. So here's the Samaritan who looks down and realizes Jesus healed him too. Who realizes that Jesus, a Jew, healed him. Not just the nine other Jews, but him as well. And he can't contain himself. I I picture him running back and yelling the entire way because he can't. His larynx has been healed, his, his limbs are healed, he's, he's healed, he's got full movement, there's no nerve damage, he can yell, he can scream, he can be loud. And then he falls at the feet of Jesus, praising him, thanking him. I'm sure there were tears of all sorts of emotions. He wants even more from Jesus. He owes his life to Jesus. And Jesus all gentle and caring, looks around for the other nine, but they're nowhere to be found. And when I first read his answer, I read it in a gladiator voice, like instead of, are you not entertained? It was, were there not ten cleansed? But God gave me a different perspective. He wasn't mad that only one guy came back to say thank you. He was sad that only one guy got it. And he says to him, get up and go. Your faith has saved you. Now, I can only speak for me, but I've been in both groups before. I've, I've been the Samaritan. I've been one of the nine. And I think it can be easy to get sucked into the routine of life, especially when life is going well. I catch myself doing it all the time. God, God has blessed me with a really good job during a pandemic I've got great friends, I've got a great family, I've got a great church, life is pretty good. And I can be pretty happy with just that. And sometimes when life is good like that, it's easy for us not to give everything back to God. We take the blessings without giving much back. Because what if God wrecks things? What if God changes things? What if God tells me to quit my really good job and move to Africa? What if he tells me to talk to some stranger at Target that sends my life into a whole domino of effect of just being uprooted? What if he wants me to be, dun, 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 uncomfortable? Matthew 10:37 through 39 says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. That's, that's rough. Um, I, I know a lot of parents, and if you try to tell them that they are to love something more than their kids, mama bear comes out. And that's, those are some hard words there. But the Samaritan fell down on his face and left it all there. The life he had before was gone. Even the life he had before the disease was gone. As PDB likes to say, he put all his eggs in the Jesus basket. And he also recognized Jesus as God and realized he didn't need to go to the temple to worship him. He was here. He could worship at his feet. We live in a part of the world where it is easy to believe God lives in a building. We've seen it this year. With buildings being closed, people lose their minds. God doesn't reside in a building. He's in us. We're the church. The message version of Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 describes it like this. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. That holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into a temple in which God is quite at home. He goes where we go. So where are you going? Some of my favorite moments where God has used me have been in places not even close to a church with people who would never set foot in a church. But God meets them. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever witnessed this, but picture the look on someone's face when they realize, like when the light bulb clicks, you know, and especially if that person has had a really rough life. If you've ever known addicts or prostitutes or uh, drug dealers, when that light clicks and they realize that they're not worthless and they have a purpose and that God loves them, like, I, I can't describe that joy. But if I, if I had to personify joy, it would be that expression. And that's what I imagine the Samaritan's face looking like. So, as I close it out, I leave you with this to ponder. And the worship team can come back up. When... When things occur in your life, when you have blessings occur in your life, how do you respond? Are you like the Samaritan and you give it all back and you say, okay, God, I'm leaving it all at your feet, good, bad, ugly, but I want more of you, I want everything you have? Or are you like the other nine who just kind of want to go on with their day? So we're going to pray. 
God, I just want to thank you for the words that Pastor Dan said, and and I want to thank you for um, just being able to be here. And as we go out this week, God, I just pray that you give us moments in our week, in our in our day to day life, where we can choose to lay it all at your feet. That we can choose to be led by you. That we can. You put people in our lives that, that need to hear the love that you have for them. And, God, I just, I just thank you for what you're doing. And, you know, especially in this crazy time that we live in, God, I don't have to understand everything, but I trust you. And, and I just know that you're going to do something great. And I just thank you for all of this. And I thank you for this church family that, that steps out in faith all the time. And I just thank you for that, Jesus, in your name. Amen.